Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our spoiler-free review for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Our lives are the sum of our choices, and we cannot escape the past. Hey, it's Nate, and if you're joining us for the first time, we are Geekcentric, a podcast celebrating the world of movies, TV shows, toys, collectibles, gaming, and all things Geekcentric. Uh, if you are joining us for this review and maybe you want to talk to us about this movie, I also want to quickly remind you that we have opened up our Discord, um, and uh, we're going to open up a Discord channel for spoilers for this movie once it comes out, um, so you can definitely jump in using the link in our description, because uh, we want to keep these geeky conversations going, but joining me for this geeky conversation this spoiler free review is my crew of secret agents first up we have the judicial journeyman who's just above the law he's justin the jailbreaker lawrence wow you've you've made our our uh, our names wrestling names yet again uh, <laughs> absolutely fantastic I can't the jailbreaker wait to see. would yeah, you yeah the jailbreaker yeah. like you used by first name Justin, and then Lawrence <laughs> incorporated the law. It was right? that's that's great. That's fantastic. It works. man. I feel like I'd wear, I'd come out in a robe with like a yeah. uh, uh, what, what do they call it? Uh, the thing that the, a the gavel. gavel. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm here to bring justice. And then I have like this weird outfit underneath my, I my gown. It, I, love yeah, I love it. I love it. I he would honestly the next uh, Mission Impossible villain should be should be the lawman or whatever I just said, the, the jailbreaker. Um, <laughs> joining alongside him for this incredibly difficult and dangerous mission, we have the conniving covert killer, Kevin the Honey Trap Hudson. I am the storm. Do you know what a honey trap is, Kevin? Um, Kevin. If you were to guess. Uh, Kevin you know would a honey guess. trap, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but set up something to do with bears. Oh, well, you know what? I mean, to certain to certain agents in the field, it could. Um, it, it apparently it is the the agents that are used in the field to seduce the enemy with their good looks. They're called honey traps. Oh man, if that's my job on the team, I fully accept. Right? I yes, I accept this. Dude, get mission. you a Henry Cavill just mustache only look. I oh my goodness. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'll just be. F- Cocking my fists everywhere I go. <laughs> Cocking something. Uh, but tapping away, doing the science stuff in the computer, in the van, he's the deadly and daring Darcy, the double agent Hudson. Well, that means I'm not on your side. I don't no, like No, you're that. a double agent on the other side. You're doubling... You're, on you're helping side. us, so I, they think yeah, I'm exactly. their side. You're helping, helping us. you guys. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you definitely, you, like, okay. he definitely put you as yeah. the, the guy in the van, eh? He put, he put. Oh he, yeah, I, no, I saw that coming <laughs> a mile away. Yeah. I just say when you open those van doors, a cloud of smoke will <laughs> exactly. over with it. Scooby so. doing that shit in there, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, listen, I am, I'm stoked to talk about this movie. This movie's been in the works for what feels like forever. But before we dive in, I want to take a quick beat just to talk about. You know, the franchise of Mission Impossible, it's over uh, two and a half decades old at this point. Um, And, you know, Justin, when 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 you and I went to go see Fast 10, uh, I I binged every movie in that series. And I did the same thing with this one. And I realized while I was binging them uh, that I'd actually never even watched Mission Impossible one and two. 
uh, and six. Somehow those were the ones I missed. Um, I had seen <laughs> three, four. I forgot a lot of five. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was so long ago that I watched three, four, and five. It was, and and going through this experience, it's just they get more and more enjoyable. As mm-hmm. you go through them, unlike the fra- the fast franchise where it kind of goes up and down, it's a, a lot. wave. Yeah, it's a wave, yeah. right? This yeah. one does kind of kind of consistently uh, go up better. and up and up, and it gets, it gets better. better. And yeah. I think, I think maybe two is the only sort of dip down, but then yeah, it gets better as we go along. Uh, for my other agents, uh, I want to know, you know, can you let our lovely listeners? What's your experience, Kevin? What's your experience been with this franchise? Uh, I started my experience with this franchise in 1998. Mm with the N64 video game, um, which was terrific. I think in terms of the story play, it rivals uh, GoldenEye in terms of capturing the essence of the movie. Uh, You know, although I didn't know that at the time because I played the game well before I ever saw the movie. I think I even saw number two in theaters before I ever bothered renting the first (laughs) one. Um, But as a naive kid, 14, I loved to... Uh, you know, I hate it now, but I loved two at the time and went back and would rent double bills and watch both of them. And just I fell in love with the series then. Um, and, you know, it really my appreciation for the series started in 2006 with Mission Impossible 3. J.J. Abrams was the Ooh. man at the time. He was doing Lost. I was loving oh. the man, bad robot, everything. And he really did revitalize and start the franchise off kind of. He kind of rebooted the franchise with three. And, you know, the production from Bad uh, Robot ever since has just excelled the quality of these movies over and over and over again. Ghost Protocol is maybe the most fun in the series. Five is like the most intense and serious. Six does a great job of blending like all of those elements that we've loved from the different movies. And so, yeah, I've been I've been on board Ever since uh, you know, I saw number two in theaters back in two thousand, and uh, yeah, it was I was this was you know uh, an underrated movie for me in terms of my anticipation going into it mm-hmm. until I did the marathon and was just like, holy shit, I can't wait for this movie. I cannot wait to be in the theater for this. It's summer blockbuster time, baby. So good, so good. Darcy, how about yourself? Uh, same thing. I mean, uh, some of my earliest movie memories are going to see Phantom Menace, and then right up there with that in, in around grade two uh, was going to see this for a birthday party. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, Mission Impossible 2 for a birthday party in grade two. And it grade was, two. <laughs> I, again, being seven years old, seeing those explosions and all those cool gun yeah. tricks, thought it was the coolest thing ever. And like Kevin said, looking back on it, I realized that was a steaming pile of garbage <laughs> for all those reasons. For so. Sure. I've, I, but it's one of those series that, like Kevin said, it's been around for so long and it comes out like every four or five years we're getting a new Mission Impossible. So I'm always going out to theaters to watch it because it is a very much a theater experience for me. And, and it's just I'm always along for the ride and, and all the reveals and twists. I love them. So I was I was super stoked for this one, dope, too. Dope. Mm-hmm. Justin, when when uh, when your little one gets into grade two, you're going to. Show her Mission Impossible too for the sure, first time. Maybe, maybe. No, uh, I, I, I actually remember seeing the first one in theater with my dad in '96, I and mean, I remember enjoying it. And yeah, two was a bit of a, a step down from that, but at the time when I saw two, and I know Kevin can attest to this, I really enjoyed it, and there was a lot of things that really worked for it. You know, obviously watching it now with today's eyes, you can see it's very much a blast from the past. It's it's a movie that is, uh, you know 
from a specific time period and 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 I, I think the same could be said about the 1996 uh, movie as well they're both sort of blast from the past movies but 2006 is where things really change with J.J. Abrams taking over but the first three movies of the franchise were very different from one another they all had different vibes the different directors and some people might think that's a good thing some people might think of that as a bad thing at a time when when trilogies and these these franchises were being, were being built the idea of of consistency and threads and uh, you know narrative continuity weren't really necessarily top of mind but you know after three i think they got themselves onto a trajectory of that when brad bird stepped in and i think he injected a lot of fun that that helps to uh you know modernize and move forward the franchise and that's why five and six were so successful they kind of used four as a as a launching pad and they went further with it uh you know upping the stakes and it was very much about uh you know seeing tom cruise very much rise the ranks and and you know become this superstar through this franchise and and with those three movies four five and six probably the most consistent story that that was given with a thread that felt very consistent from movie to movie now here we are at seven and we're kind of going i think on a new path uh i think this is the, definitely the beginning of something new and uh it's it's very exciting so i I've, I've i've watched this franchise numerous times very much like how i've watched fast and furious sometimes i just binge it for whatever reason and yeah. uh I definitely saved it closer to the release of this movie. So I was definitely watching it with the eyes of anticipation and excitement for Dead Reckoning Part 1. Very cool. Let's get into this movie, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team embark on their most dangerous mission yet, to track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity before it falls into the wrong hands. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake, uh, and dark forces from Ethan's past closing in. A deadly race around the globe begins, confronted by a mysterious, all-powerful enemy. Ethan is forced to consider that nothing can matter more than his mission, not even the lives of those he cares about most. Directed by Christopher McQuarrie and written by Eric Jendrison, the film stars Tom Cruise, Haley Atwell, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby, Isai Morales, Palm Clementieff, uh, Marie, Mariella Garriga, Shea Wingham, Greg Tarzan Davis, uh, Charles Parnell, Frederick Schmidt, Carrie Elwes, Mark Gattis, Indira Varma, Rob Delaney, and returning to the franchise after 27 years, Toronto, Canada's own Henry Cherney as Agent Eugene Kittredge. What a delight to see that guy. Uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is only in theaters, premium large formats, and IMAX on July 12, 2023. Special thanks, as always, to our friends at Paramount Pictures Canada for letting us watch the movie early for review. Let's get into our thoughts. I want to start off with, I think, what most people think about when they think about this franchise. Uh, and I want to talk about the action in this movie. I feel like for a lot of aspects of this film... It really does remind me of the greatest hits kind of movie of the of the series. You know how movies have sort of those when they're going this long in a franchise fast does it a lot a few times in their franchise of like just showing you these sort of nostalgia plays throughout the 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 saga of like within this one film. And I think for this one, it's it's a masterclass in action filmmaking. Seven movies in and. You know, the movie magic that that Daddy Tom Cruise is what I like to call him uh, is always going on about. And he's always talking about like the magic of the movies. This is 
a true truest representation of that. This is a movie theater ass movie theater experience. And you have to see this on the biggest screen possible. Uh, we saw it in IMAX. Unfortunately, there's no aspect ratio changes, um, but the audio was was like so wonderfully loud. Um, and and there's some so many great set pieces. Uh, and the car chases are I find more inventive this time around. Of course, like you said, it's to be expected. The action is a spectacle of its own. When you think of Mission Impossible movies, especially over the last. Uh, three or four movies. But I think what the real masterclass outside of just the action is the pacing of this movie. It mm. fluidly moves you from action scene to action scene in such a well-paced manner that the runtime of two hours and 45 minutes or, or close to three hours, you don't feel it. You do not feel it. it I it, mean, my it, legs felt it a little bit. Sure. That might just be me. And I know, Kevin, That's... you were mentioning that your ass was starting to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got, uh, yeah, ass max seats. Yeah. Like, my butt just kills in those seats after sure. the two-hour mark. Right, and and, and I, I, it's definitely, you, you, you'll feel it for sure physically uh, <laughs> as your asses and legs will, will attest to. But um, I think from a time standpoint, I didn't once look at my watch. It didn't drag. It didn't, it didn't slow down. The action with the pacing, I think that to me is, is really the masterclass of this movie and what Chris McQuarrie is, has done so well. That's what makes this such a great, enjoyable, in-theater cinematic experience on top of the spectacle of action that we see throughout this movie. Yeah, McQuarrie's really gotten this down to a science. There's a formula here. We get a big spectacle open opening. This might be the longest sort of opening before they, as I like to say, light the fuse. Yeah. This one is the most fluid mm -hmm. in terms of moving. And what I think is remarkable is that ever since before in particular, ever since uh, Ghost Protocol, you, you've known what the big huge stunt that Tom's going to do is and this one more than ever they showed you like the making of and everything months and months and months before we even saw it and yet still it's so well done that like as you're gearing up for it you're like oh shit here we go it's coming baby and you're like you're getting amped up for it and excited for it and I think that's amazing that even if they've exposed you to it so much it's still once yeah, you get you're there experiencing you're just like it. yeah let's when, go when you see it on that big screen it's it's like breathtaking right like you you know and like this the the dead silence that the audience had during that moment was so cool everyone just held their breath like oh it was i felt like i was hanging off that building in dubai all those years ago once again they really did recreate that feeling well and i i mentioned how it at times the movie does kind of play that nostalgia card by being self-referential you know we'll we'll talk about maybe a little bit of that in in it in its narrative but i love how it also it, it it did that in how it shot like there were times in this movies where i felt like they were bringing back you know various cinematographers and dps from the other movies because parts of this movie visually looked like mission impossible one and then three and then you know some of the more recent like five or six and it's i think it's such a it's such a joy to watch and and even though I was wowed by the, and I'm going to use this word, we only get to use it once on the podcast now, spectacle. Uh, I already used <laughs> I was, it twice. Damn it! Yeah. I was yeah. <laughs> I was wowed by the <laughs> the um, the the incredibleness. I don't know. Spectacle is the best word uh, of what was going on on the screen. I never stopped at, at all any time to think about where was the camera in a scene. 
right? Or never once did I feel like I was watching anyone on a green screen or anything like that. Like I was just kind of fully enveloped, at least from a visual standpoint in the movie as well with, with how the action was rolling out. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, that's one of the things you go to a Mission Impossible movie for are these action scenes and, and the way that they managed to tell a story through action because that is, that is what it is at its, at its core is storytelling despite being these these awe-inspiring mm-hmm. stunts that Tom Cruise is doing they're telling a story while he's doing all these crazy things and it's just that's what I go to a Mission Impossible movie for I don't care if it's the same story where you just replace the villain with and the and you know the MacGuffin of the movie or whatever but that's okay because I know I'm going to sit down and enjoy this movie no matter what because these storytelling like moments are so impactful and breathtaking yeah, I, I think you, you, that's a really great call out to say that the action is so indicative of the story. And I think that that's, that's another layer to how the action really works. It's, you know, not just from a pacing standpoint, but how it informs the story and how it also drives the tension of the story. Like there are parts when, you know, the action serves as such a, 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 a thrilling, you're on the edge of your seat moment there was a few times throughout this movie that i was definitely you could feel the tension and how the way things are cut together and it it drives that tension it keeps you enthralled with this story it's all masterfully done and i think you know it's incredible uh, again that we've you know we've seen a lot of these types of action scenes in these very movies i mean we're on the 7th installment now so it's it's it would seem that it would be hard to keep things fresh and yet oh look another car chase holy shit that was fun and inventive and different, different. than car yes. chases we've seen and there's a final set piece it's so well done and so like i i i was i was sick to my stomach with fear of heights and and it's just so well done and i think the the connective tissue you know that's been here this whole time is that tom cruise even at 63 whatever he is now wow is just still a bona fide action superstar. Uh, you know, like, it, you, you're going to get your Tom Cruise freaking stiff-armed runs, <laughs> and he just he just fills that screen with so much charisma. It's amazing that he's been able to deliver this role so consistently for seven movies. This, is, this would now tie him for the most movies um, with a James Bond. Uh, I think Roger Moore did seven. You know what I mean? So he's now on his seventh. He's going into his eighth, like, action franchise movie, and he still just doesn't feel stale in that role whatsoever. And you just, yeah, it's amazing. He's certainly, you know, not showing his age in in any way, and especially in these action moments. And I think, yeah, like, I mean, he's... It, to me, Tom Cruise is just untouchable <laughs> at this point for, as far as sort of that caliber of action star. Um, and he's just, he's 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 flawless. Um, I think you mentioned charisma, uh, and I, it, I think it's very difficult to share the screen with Tom Cruise and match that charisma. But I was really, really shocked with Haley Atwell. Um, I mean, I shouldn't be, I, I, I love her, she's great, but I don't think I've gotten to see her in a, a more prominent role like this. And she's such a delightful person. To me, she kind of felt like the Ray of this franchise at this point yes. in the franchise, right? Yeah. She's kind of the, she's she's super charming. She, she kind of feels like the vessel for the audience joining Ethan Hunt along for this ride, being introduced to this world. Um, and in a way, I almost feel like people, if, if somebody is coming into this franchise and maybe, you know, for me, my first movie that I watched from this franchise was three. So if somebody's coming into this movie and seven, you know, the, this seventh movie is their first movie, 
they'll connect even more uh, with Haley in that way and, and with her character of Grace because I just she's she's fantastic. I really really enjoyed her. She was outstanding, and I think there's there's a there's a couple of, uh, actresses that st- that stood out uh, that really do, as you said, share the, the the spotlight with with Tom. But that's that's the beauty of what Tom's doing with these movies too is he's giving the time for these characters. It's not just about him yeah. or about his character. It's about his character in relation to the the rest of these characters, which is why there's such a drive in these movies about not just Ethan Hunt, but the surrounding characters. Yeah. Uh, and I think the same can be said about this movie. Haley Atwell, outstanding. She shines so bright. She was so charming. Um, and yeah, like exactly what you said, Nate, I thought she was very much like the, the gateway uh, experience for new audience members, especially on this new journey, because this does feel like it doesn't feel like it's a reboot. It's just the beginning. I feel like of a of a new story uh, after the closing of four, five, and six that had a consistent thread. Here, seven feels like a new story, and it's almost like let's introduce someone new. Um, shout out to Palm Clementiev. I oh yeah, she was, yeah. She was unbelievably crazy. She's a <laughs> official badass uh more so than just being a mantis but she was insanely great i i adored her i thought she was insane's the key word yeah no she was insane she's she's crazy crazy. and that was the thing that was really great she she really leaned into the character of paris and and becomes this sort of sadistic in your face rage and fueled assassin and i I absolutely loved it i want to see not more of like that character but just her being able to like really lean in she's an f- outstanding actress she's really proved proven it over this this last year uh that she's 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 gunning for some some different roles well gunning indeed mm-hmm. i mean definitely from her time in guardians uh and we saw in guardians 3 and then here i think i think for me though in this movie more specifically where in guardians uh, we got to hear a lot more of her we don't get to hear too much of her she doesn't have that many lines mm-hmm. but i think from a performance standpoint that's even more impressive because yes. she's she's able to bring across her performance in her physicality, in her face. Yes. The faces that she makes when she's about to do something just batshit crazy is awesome. Or when and, she and loses her temper. When she loses like, her temper, she gets yeah. angry, she gets, you know, upset. And I think she, you know, I I I, I it's amazing how much they got me to care about her character, given that I think she had the the least amount of lines and maybe the some of the lesser amount of screen time uh than some of these other characters in the in the movie she made what she had count yeah she made her time on the screen matter for sure exactly and i mean you know you know what i think is a really uh uh striking triumph is for henry uh henry cerny Uh, i think it's pronounced Cherny. Cherny. cherny Yeah. Journey. Journey. Uh, returning as Kittredge after, like you said, Nate, 26, 27 Ooh. years. Um, and I wonder if audiences who maybe haven't seen the first one in a long time or maybe have never seen it, what their connection with that character might be. We obviously have the bias of recently rewatching all these movies, but it's amazing that <clears throat> all these years later, he captures the exact same yes. sorriness, arrogance, just like you hate him at, when he's on screen. He's just dripping with this like hateful, hate-worthy smarm. And it's just amazing. And it, you know, kudos to him for stepping back into the role and nailing it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he it's it's one of those things where even <clears throat> even watching his character, there were moments where I was just kind of like 
I, I, do I trust him? Do I not trust him? Um, that's the and, point, though. Yeah. I think that's the point, for sure. Yeah. His he, character is, is very much that. But, and that's the point of, I think, a variety of characters throughout this movie. Sure. Uh, another one that I want to call out who I really enjoyed, I just wish we maybe had a little more screen time with her, is Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, I think Ilsa. she's absolutely fantastic as Ilsa. Um, there's such a she's she's grown into the comfortability of of how to perceive her emotions like to the point that you're making Nate like through through the idea of just understanding the person and understanding the facial reactions mm -hmm. and there's some fantastic moments where uh, Ethan and her are very much just reading each other through eye eye signals and I absolutely love that I thought it was it was just it shows the the sort of commitment that both of them have to the characters that they're playing in in the idea of understanding each other's looks and and you know how to represent those looks in, in specific ways um but yeah I think the only thing is I wish we just had a little bit more time with her yeah uh, throughout the movie but I, I think she's she's absolutely fantastic yet again I think these three actors are you know between Haley Palm and Rebecca they are like outstanding on top of, of, of Tom Cruise, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Like, they just, they, they really do hold their own. And to the point of what you said, Kevin, like, even though some might have more time and less time, the time that they had really did matter. It didn't necessarily take away. And now I know I'm going to get some drawback here. It's time to it's time to tussle a little with our opinions. I will say uh, there are two characters who are returning here and actually have less screen time than we're kind of accustomed to them having, um, especially over the last couple movies, and that's Ving Rhames and uh, Simon Pegg. And I just thought these characters didn't feel as authentic to the characters we've gotten to know over the previous few movies. I just thought, I know that they are there in a lot of ways as comic relief, but not at the, it's laugh with them usually. And I found that in this movie, they were designed to be laughed at. They, they were goofier than we're used to being. They weren't as serious and professional. And we're dealing with world-threatening stakes here. And, and they were just a bit too jokey and campy for my liking. And I know that we had a brief discussion after and, and there were some disagreements there. Go ahead, Darcy. Yeah, I mean, I just... Honestly, Simon Pegg has always seemed very out of place in the Mission Impossible franchise to me, but I love his addition of the humor yes. and stuff like that. I mean, if you think back to, what was it, four? Is four when they're climbing the Burj yes. Khalifa? And he's like, yeah, so yeah, you just, just, just go outside. Just, just go, it's fine. It's, 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 it's fine. It's a short little trip. Like, he, he never takes things right. too seriously because he's, just, he's new to the field and stuff like that. And it feels like he still is bringing that, you know, humor and charm to this very naive like he's very naive in his mindset going about these impossible missions like oh if i just say ethan do this he'll do it because it's ethan he gets things done yeah. so that that felt very true to form but i do agree that the screen time was very uh subdued in this one they didn't feel like they were there for the whole mission sure. a lot at, at times so that that was disappointing yeah i think that we have to take into consideration this there is a part one attached to this name mm. so you know their their part in the story might be smaller um but i think you know yeah you're, you're absolutely right like the introduction of simon Pegg in 2006 definitely added the humor and i think by naturally adding simon Pegg throughout these movies he's naturally breaking down other characters around him to be a little bit more fun yeah. so vig rames's character of luther was always very serious and i found now since simon Pegg as benji has been interjected he's like kind of breaking the walls of, of luther and now luther is is being a little bit more fun and tongue-in-cheek in the in the role there was always this sort of big brother or best friend mentality between ethan and luther and i think we we really see that come to full fruition in some of the moments with Luther and Ethan. And I think that, again, just to highlight again what you said, Kevin, 
even though his time was minimal, it mattered and it served a purpose. And I think they served a purpose of, you know, injecting humor. Maybe we laughed at them a little bit more, uh, but I don't know if that was anything more than than in the past. Like, I, I definitely laughed at them a lot in Fallout. You know, they, they definitely had, you know, that those instances of like, you know, brothers, you know, sort of fighting each other. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's more skilled? But, you know, it's just playful competition. And I think we just get to see that on a new stage here. So, yeah, maybe maybe it was like they relied a little too heavily on their relationship as being or their their characters as being the comedy. But I think we'll see more of them. And I think that they'll 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 still matter because Luther and Ethan have been in this uh, since the beginning. Right. So. Well, and I think just really quickly I, for, for Ving Rhames and I mentioned this last night, I I I've found that he's gotten better and better uh, yes. in every aspect yeah. uh, in each movie. Um, and I think a lot of that does actually have to do with Darcy. You, you brought it up of Benji breaking the other characters down. But but yes, so that so that Luther at times is more comedic, which might not work for everyone, but also that he's softer as well. And there's some really, really lovely moments between watching like I watched six for the first time right before we went in to watch this one. And so getting to kind of see like in both of these movies, there is a really solid Luther monologue moment and speech moment where I'm just like, hell yeah. Luther. Well, he's like, dropping some wisdom. He's dropping he's wise, some wisdom. Man. He's yeah, wise. exactly. Yeah. And so I think to that point, I think, uh, and, and also I think Benji does get a very Benji scene uh, in this movie as well. But, but to the point, that's it. You get you get the you get that strong moment with Luther. You get one strong moment with Benji, and then they do kind of sort of go to the sidelines. And the rest of the time, they're kind of at least the way I was watching, they're kind of dumbed down mm. a little bit. They're they're not these you know experts in their field, technicians that we're kind of used to. I just felt I just found this one was you know after the serious tone of the last two movies. You know, I was kind of saying last night, and the more I've reflected on it, I think this really was almost a soft reset of the franchise. It was like, we have completed a, a, a certain element of our storytelling in number six, and we're moving into the next chapter. And they, you know, they brought in a new writer, and they it felt different than yep, especially the sure. last two entries, which were very serious. This just... It's 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 dumb fun, but it just felt a little dumber than I was used to with the last few installments of the franchise. And again, the more I reflect on it, I'm not sure it's as bad a thing as I, I initially thought leaving the theater. But it did. It was a bit jarring. I, I just noticed the tonal shifts a lot with a lot of the characters. And, well, and I mean, I think even I, I guess the tonal shifts within the story itself. Right. And I think like kind of what you're talking about and getting into the narrative, I think. For me, Kevin, I, as I was reflecting on it more and more, I think we the way that I've sort of uh, we've we've gone about so far, sort of just structuring this conversation, is is kind of the 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 structure in which I almost see the quality of this movie as well, um, where I think the action is at the top, followed very closely by those performances. But I do think the narrative is a little bit weaker for me uh, as well. I think it's awesome how they. They somehow fell into this uh, this AI villain narrative right as AI is starting to become more and more real to us every single day. I think had this movie had come out when it was originally planned, it could have maybe felt a little more hokey, a little sort of more like like unrealistic. Um, with but with everything going on with with AI these days, it's it's scary that it does seem more realistic, and so. There, there are, there were parts of me that at times I was just kind of like, I don't know, this is really dense. 
Um, it's kind of a little all over the place. Uh, but then other parts of me were kind of just like, well, no, it is kind of very fitting for, for what's going on in the world. I just think the fact that AI and you know the dangers that it could potentially uh, pose are not a strain are not a new thing to uh, science fiction or storytelling. If you look at Isaac Asimov, he's been writing about this type of stuff for years, and and is the kind of the godfather in artificial intelligence and what it can be, mean. So, to me, I thought it was really cool how they handled that and used that as the villain. I'm looking forward to seeing how that spins out because it is, like I said, very relevant to what's going on right now, but also a very a very common trope that it has a lot of storytelling potential so i'm looking forward to that yeah i think that you know making the choice of a artificial intelligence to your point nate i think they got lucky with how much the ai boom is happening right now right um i don't know if that was planned i don't think that that was planned especially given how delayed this movie was uh given covid and, and all of that stuff and and uh, that's what i yeah, mean I think, though right like it, yeah it's no, almost that's what in I mean. their benefit it, it, it's, it's it's in their benefit yeah. I, I think that they they use the obscure um, lingo and, and stuff like that quite a bit to kind of mask and hide and move things around as to explain how this is all possible. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the MacGuffin, the, 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 the MacGuffin of the, of the entire thing is so small and so uh, minuscule in what the larger threat actually represents. So there was this interesting ballet of like something that was small and significant, but controlled something that was incredibly powerful. Mm. Um, and I thought that that was, that was really interesting. Uh, but I, I, I also think that, yeah, I think that the, the obscure sort of technology lingo can kind of hide a little bit of that and you, you know you, people are kind of like oh what what is he talking about okay i think i kind of get this i can see how people would probably uh either lose track or just understand that like though they're just talking a lot of like lingo just to justify this i mean that's isn't that every mission impossible though uh, i don't know like, I, but like this is the I first mean, time we're really getting we into were something recently rewatching yeah. them Recently rewatching them, a lot of the times, again, I'm going into a Mission Impossible, I'm not expecting a rock-solid sure. plot with the most sure. thought-out and well-thought-out narrative. It's more about telling a story through action. And the story, like the, the minutia of the story, like what the bad thing is, is never fully explained half the time. You don't know what it's going to do, or maybe it is, and it's just so far-fetched and out there that you're like, okay, whatever, it's an impossible mission, it's got to have an impossible outcome, so... Maybe that's what this is all relating to, but that's to me that didn't no, I, take yeah. away from this story because again, I don't go to a Mission Impossible movie for these rock solid plots. I mean, I'm just wondering, like, you know, I think there's a real challenge in trying to make something that you can't physically see be your main threat. Sure, you know, we've had some pretty solid human villains. And a lot of the times, you know, we can relate to the idea of a nuclear bomb being set off, and that needs to be stopped before it detonates, you know. But now here they need to represent this idea of, like, information, even even what this artificial intelligence is sort of looking to control is invisible. And that's a really hard thing to do, and I almost think that that justifies the kind of hokey, goofy tone that a lot of the movie sort of has in in response to that villain. I mean, there are certain scenes where they have to represent this artificial intelligence. And I don't know if I if I was like, oh, that's so menacing. That's like that's like Philip Seymour Hoffman stealing a scene and right. chewing the shit mm. out of the scenery. I was kind of like, 
okay, I guess so, you know. It just, I wasn't fully sold on the idea. I mean, and right now, artificial intelligence, oh, it's it can draw pictures and it plagiarizes essays. Like, it's not, I know that the impending threat of it and what it could do is scary, but we're not really uh-huh. there yet. And so it's not quite the same as looking back on the devastating effects of a nuclear bomb and going, shit, that would to be our bad robot that overlords that are listening right now, uh, the, the what Kevin's saying does not represent the whole of Geekcentric, just be aware. Uh, <laughs> oh, come get me a bright flashing lights. I'm so scared. Oh, no. no, but I, I also think, though, that, like, you know, in terms of villains, um, since Philip Seymour Hoffman, they've been kind of weak. You know what I mean? Like, it's the mm-hmm. point of I what think Lane was saying, the closest thing. Yeah. Yeah, but they just serve the purpose of being the bigger threat. But yeah. here, what's really interesting is that this AI concept, while relevant in today's, you know, you know, world, uh, it's also a mystery. You don't see it. I actually am very interested in this idea of an elusive digital enemy i think it's actually kind of fun that they went in that direction with it and rather than just centering it on one person now there are people that are antagonists in relation to this ai but at the same time that mystery that threat that illusion of an enemy is kind of interesting i i feel Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what i was i was intrigued with but i do agree that they they might heavy-handed with the lingo, the explanation, the expo- you know, the exposition in general of how this thing came to be, how it manifests its its material, and you know, at the same time, because people are in this AI boom, like you said, Kevin, pictures and music and plagiarizing essays, they don't know anything beyond that. But something like this could be the inciting fear of what AI could be. Do you know what I mean? Given the fact that what it is able to achieve, just on those those minimal things that you've mentioned, like painting and and stuff like that so again it still draws in a relevancy and i think it you know i don't think people are going to start dismantling ai after this movie but i think people are now going to you know think about it i mean people are already thinking about it after ultron look at him yeah could you imagine (laughs) could you imagine though if they actually gave the ai a voice they they you know like they like a consistent voice like an ultron throughout you know would that have been more gimmicky and silly Right? Yeah. yeah. Or if they gave it a physical body. I mean, they do in a certain sense, right, in terms of pulling puppet strings. But, like, yeah, I don't think this is the movie where you have a a physical robot walking around with this in its mind. But that's its its goal. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to, you know, it's no, I'm just joking. I don't. I must attain a physical presence. Right, no strings yeah, on no, me. No, that's not going to work here. <laughs> thought Kevin was, was an AI for a second. Um, I, I think the last thing I'll just quickly say about the narrative for myself, at least, is, as I was mentioning, it's dense. They do have some callbacks to things that we've never seen, um, but but some of the characters have always known. And that's where I did have, a at times, a little bit of a disconnect because... As I said, there's a lot of self-referential, nostalgic stuff that they throw in, but then they also throw in flashbacks to moments where, again, that we've not seen, and I'm just kind of—I was left a little confused by those at moments. And part it was sort of, one, yes, I understand. Yes, I, I, that's listen, all I'm gonna I say. totally yeah. get that, that they could explain it in part one or in part two. I really hope we get a lot more of it explained in part two. But for the just of just this one movie, for part itself, one, it didn't matter enough. Yeah. It didn't matter enough, and it kind of. Yeah. left me at times sort of going like well hold on expand upon that like wait who is that why does that matter and it 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 felt a little cheap now come dead reckoning part two if i'm eating my words awesome i'm happy to um but it just for this at least this one i did i got that a few times throughout the movie yeah it's it's that's an easy excuse to go hey it's only part one but 
part one still needs to be self-contained enough that when they are like when they are referencing people or events and we go oh that's important but don't expl- we don't know why that event or person is really important it's harder to connect and so that it's all well and dandy when they i'm sure they will wrap up a lot of those loose ends in part 2 when you've got 2 hours and 40 minutes of telling us that these things are important but not giving us the reason to believe in it and get behind it it is a little harder to connect in that than giving us a flat out like this is the bad guy look what he does he's bad right this is a now he this person might be bad and you know we might tell you why but so there is just that sort of connection um separation that i felt as well nate yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't. I guess I didn't feel that disconnect so much because I felt like we were very much like the the members of the the team that don't know these this history and stuff like that. Because a lot of the people in the movie aren't privy to these flashbacks. It's only around two characters mainly, and they aren't telling anyone what's going on. So I feel like that is kind of almost intent. The intent of this this movie is that it's setting up these mysteries yeah. that will be answered in part two because it is. Again, a part one. That I think maybe that's why I was okay coming out of it, not knowing yeah, everything. I, I couldn't agree more with that point. I think that the the mysteries are being established because that's going to be the big carryover from part one to part two, uh, among many things. Um, the only other thing I want to call out about narrative, and I, I know we were talking about it briefly, is the super self referential meta quality that is very relevant or very apparent in this movie we were talking about it after the screening uh you know this past year in fast 10 there's a great moment where two characters are are calling out the absurdity of of the events of the fast and furious franchise and calling out characters as being godlike superheroes and at moments and at different times in this movie in mission impossible dead reckoning part one you get little moments sprinkled throughout where Agents and and different characters are are calling out the absurdity of some of the past missions and what the IMF is and who Ethan Hunt is and how is he right and is he wrong? And, you know, I really appreciated that, you know, the franchise is now taking, you know, this step in a direction that calls back lovingly to these moments, but also draws in a comedic undertone that feels feels refreshingly different. Yeah, it took it took fast, you know, 10 movies to get those moments and and here we are getting it seven movies and I think is maybe a a more respectable <laughs> amount of time to wait for that kind of joke to, sure. to sprinkle yeah, yeah. in. Um, yeah. But let's get to our, our final thoughts for this movie, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five mysterious keys. Darcy, I'm going to have you kick us off. Again, I've been a fan of the Mission Impossible franchise for a while. It's something I've always gone out to the theaters to 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 do to watch, no matter what, basically. And this one is no no exception. It's it needs to be watched on the big screen because it is so awe inspiring and breathtaking. All the action scenes and moments they string together and the comedy. To me, I really enjoyed this this one. And the fact that it was it felt a lot funner whilst dealing with this you know very serious threat that uh, we're still learning more about. I think was really cool. Uh, so yeah, this one easily, well, it's not the best in the franchise. It is definitely up there in the top three or four because I enjoyed it so much. I'll be giving this one 4.5 out of five mysterious keys. Very cool. Kevin, how about yourself? Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I'm I'm a little torn on this one just because the the tonal shifts that I mentioned throughout kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, but maybe that will resonate more with general audiences who just are looking for you know they're there to see Tom or they're there to see an action flick, and 
if you're going just to see those things, I, you you can't be disappointed in any way, shape, or form. The action is top notch. They up the stakes like they always do. It's filmed in such a way that you're tense, edge of your seat. Uh, it's it's amazing to look at. Uh, it's incredible to to witness the things that people, specifically Tom Cruise, are willing to put themselves through to make these moments happen. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise is the savior of cinema, um, and he's he's doing it here. He's he's brought the best blockbuster of this summer to the big screens. Like Nate said right off the top, see this on the biggest, loudest screen you can. That's the only way to fully appreciate this. I just think there were a few elements that that brought it down from some previous entries in terms of of just being solid. It was it was more fun than than it took itself seriously and maybe it was starting to take itself too seriously. It really does depend on how you sort of approach these films and what you're really looking for in them. Uh, and so again, this is by no means a terrible movie. It's nowhere near the bottom of the list in terms of the worst entries in this franchise. Uh, but where I might give the last three, even four entries, like solid 4.5s out of 5, here I'm giving this movie a, a very respectable four out of five mysterious keys. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm 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 right along there uh, with you. Uh, I think this movie is a bombastic summer blockbuster. Um, as we as I said, like you need to watch this in a theater. Please watch it on the biggest screen. Um, it's just a. It's a. It is a. No matter sort of when I was being taken out a little bit at times, I still found it to be a consistent smile producing movie where you're just ear to ear grinning the entire time um i think the plot again it, it could be tightened up uh, quite a bit um the action is is mesmerizing the pacing as you mentioned justin is is so good and again there's some there are some set pieces in this one in particular that i will always remember uh the cast is at the top of their game i want to give a shout out as well to lauren balf uh the composer and the over 555 musicians uh that that you know they that made the the music and the composition and the, the score for this movie um it was just it was solid and just fits so well um and uh, you know i think i still think fallout is my favorite of the entire franchise, I think Fallout and Three go back and forth for me, um, just because I'm I'm very I just JJ is my guy uh, with Three, but um, but but this this is definitely up there in the franchise for me. I don't think it's one of the worst of the movies by any means. Um, it's you know I think this whole franchise is just so enjoyable, and this is a really really enjoyable movie. Uh, so I'm going to give Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Uh, alongside with you, Kevy, a very solid four out of five mysterious keys. Uh, Justin, how about yourself? Well, I, you know, I, I absolutely enjoyed this movie. Um, I think it was an absolute thrill ride. The action scenes are packed with with tense, high stake moments, and it'll keep you on the edge of your seat from start to finish. Um, the outstanding cast delivers, uh, and and as we already mentioned, the MVPs: Haley Atwell, Palm Clementif. Rebecca Ferguson, I absolutely adored them. They shine as just badass, unforgettable characters. And, you know, Tom Cruise, yet again, proves that he is at his best when he is himself mm. and he is in death-defying situations. Uh, he brings his best work. Uh, so he he absolutely shines as well. Um, I think this, as we were mentioning, this movie demands to be seen in an IMAX theater. 
uh, on the biggest screen imaginable. Anything less, I feel like, is a dis- is disservice to this movie uh, for its breathtaking visuals and its just overall immersive experience. You know, Chris McCory has has truly found his voice and style in the past two movies, elevating the franchise to new heights. Um, I think that he's masterfully paced this movie to balance between, uh, m- you know, action and narrative pieces. And while, yes, there are some narrative flaws that I think this movie has, I-, I would like to see what happens when we get to a part two. Because, yes, this is a part one. There are things that are kind of left on the table, things that do get resolved in this half that, you know, will- won't matter in the second. But it's how it's all going to come together. Uh, so with that in mind, you know, I I remember watching Fallout and thinking very, very much the same thing about how I feel with Dead Reckoning Part 1, you know, very well-paced, really great action. Uh, upon watching it again, my score dropped. I thought that I really started to notice some, some narrative things that I just didn't, didn't understand that made sense, in my opinion, but still other things uh, did matter. So for now, while I want to give this movie a 5 out of 5 just for its incredible in-theater experience. I am going to go with a 4.5 out of 5 Mystery Keys because I think that this is one of the more enjoyable experiences in the theater and more enjoyable Mission Impossibles. I I actually think that this is better than Fallout, uh, in my opinion. And so, yeah, 4.5 out of 5 Mystery Keys. I think it's great. Man, I hope we find the 0.5 missing key. Uh, The other (laughs) half. Uh, but that is it for this spoiler-free review for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts on this movie or this franchise, well, let me just sneak into the darkness and say to Justin, fate whispers to the warrior. A storm is coming. And the warrior whispers back, I am the storm. You can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com or on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. And hey, we got threads now. So you can find us on threading. We can, we're threading. So, uh, you know, you can find us there as well, which is also at wearegeekcentric. Thread it up with us, you guys. We got all the good threads. Uh, keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest shows and movies out now, including our recent spoiler-free reviews for Netflix's Nimona, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, The Flash, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, and Disney and Pixar's Elemental. Plus, we have a ton of great interviews out now, like our most recent interview with the cast, director, and creator of Nimona. We also had some fun with the villains from Indiana Jones and the De- Dial of Destiny, uh, and we have our interview with the villains villain uh, of Secret Invasion, Gravik himself, Kingsley Benadir, and the director and showrunner of that show, Ali Salim. You can check those out here on your podcast service of choice or over on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. We also have our weekly watch club for Secret Invasion, where we break down each episode with our latest episode out right now, covering episode three, where Kevin came up with just the spiciest little theory. I was very proud of his theory making in this episode. Um, and I don't think it'll ever happen, but it would be wild if it did. So, yeah, please. To the yes, best, type the of best type of theory. Please tune in weekly every Friday for Watch Club. Uh, we've got three episodes left, and I can't wait to see where the series goes. The Hot Geek Summer is rolling right along, and soon we're going to have coverage of movies like Haunted Mansion, Oppenheimer, and we also have coverage for series like Foundation Season 2, The After Party Season 2, and The Bear Season 2, with even more after that. So stay tuned to find out what's next. Uh, but until then, Darcy, Kevin, Justin... 
Thank you so much for joining me for today's spoiler-free review. And as we say, love ya. Laters. Get home safe, guys. Peace.